From yesterday's innovations to tomorrow's technologies, this is MarketScale's EdTech Today with your host, Kevin Hogan. Okay, with me today, Dr. Bill McCallum. Bill, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I think we can uh, dive right into some of the nitty gritty. A lot of recent reports coming out on the uh, learning loss as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, NWEA, a number of different organizations have kind of put together some big picture numbers. I mean, there's been raw numbers coming out from different companies starting in, in April, but now I think we're going to finally getting a, a, a bigger scope to it all. Uh, some surprisingly good news maybe on the reading front. It seems like there hasn't been that many losses there. Uh, on the math side, though, 7 to 10% learning losses, some other predictions that are more dire. Can you talk a little bit, uh, were any of those results a surprise to you? Um, and, you know, kind of give us your first impressions from, from that sort of data. I mean, I think everybody expected there would be learning loss. How could there not be when you've got kids trying to learn math sitting in their kitchens, you know? Right. Um, sitting, staring at screens all day. I mean, it's a crazy way to learn anything. Um, you know, the English results are interesting. I guess kids do more reading at home normally anyway than they do math at home. Sure. Um, one thing that I find uh, a sort of a sign of hope here, you know, there's always been learning loss. There's always been kids who come back to school and they're really quite a long way behind. And the standard way of dealing with that has been to sort of pull them out into some other um, supplemental instructional situation or to sort of sit them in front of the computer um, uh, some extra number of hours a day to catch up. And that's never been a good way of handling this problem. And we, we now, we're now sort of faced with the same problem, but with many more kids. Yeah. And, you know, many more kids in those categories that are really far behind. And I think that's going to force us to think of better solutions. Uh, and so in a way, I feel like the pandemic has forced us to think about how to really grapple with the problem of learning loss when you simply can't just sort of say, well, it's just a few kids. Sure. Uh, so uh, Illustrative Mathematics, you have been going since about 2017, correct? Well, we started as a nonprofit in 2013, but the current phase of our existence where we've been writing core curriculum, which is openly licensed, started in 2016. Okay. When we, you know, we came out with a middle school curriculum, then a high school curriculum, and then we're going to complete our K-5 curriculum next summer. But that was a platform that was already kind of almost made for the pandemic, right? I mean, you, you, had, a, you had a setup, you had a platform that enabled students to, to work from home? Well... We don't, we have a there's, a, there's a website where you can go and download the curriculum, but I don't think that's what you mean by the platform. We have two distribution partners uh, that have platforms. LearnZillion is one of them and McGraw-Hill is the other one. Um, Kendall Hunt is, they maintain the free version of the curriculum where people can go and download it. And a lot of people were using that. I mean, you can certainly access the curriculum there. Um, so I, I think the answer to your question is we have, because we don't actually distribute our own curriculum, we do it mm. through partners. Each partner has its unique solution here. Um, they've all been responding to the pandemic by enhancing the sort of student facing aspects of the curriculum in different ways. Let me ask you uh, other uh, 
aspects of why maybe math struggles um, more in a remote setup than reading as a parent with uh, one sophomore in college and two high schoolers in separate Zoom rooms right now. Um, if they try to present me with the math work that they were doing as a, as, a, as a freshman in high school, I would be way out of my league. Is that something else that you see as, as, a, uh, as a reason why there might have been a slide? Well, what do you mean? Do you just mean it's more difficult than when you were a kid? Or uh, correct. Well, I've, I've forgotten it. I wasn't very <laughs> yeah, good right. in the first place. You've uh, had your own learning loss. Yeah. Yes. I'm also, <laughs> and I'm also a journalist, which is why I was scared of math, right? So yeah. I yeah. I mean, you know, Common Core state standards came out in 2010, um, and they were high standards. I wouldn't say they were... Um, you know, they were also uh, reasonable in the sense that they sort of took account of where of where the nation was in math. But um, within that context, they were equal to the sort of highest standards of states around the country. And so, yeah, for some people, that's, that's, that's an increase in standards, but that was 10 years ago. I think everyone now is pretty much agreed on what kids should be learning in what grade level. And, um, you know, math, I, so I'm not sure I would attribute it to, oh, the math is different. I would attribute it to math is hard to learn and hard to teach. It's just, um, especially one of the other hopeful things I find coming out of the pandemic is that people will realize old ways of teaching don't work too well. So the traditional way of teaching in the United States is the teacher gets up and stands and shows everybody how to do a problem. And then there's a worksheet and you practice doing that problem. And the teacher walks around the room telling you whether you're right or wrong. <clears throat> when kids are physically in a classroom, you could pretend there was something interactive about that. But when you're just all these faces on a screen listening to someone tell you something, it really sort of, sort of lays bare the inadequacy of that approach to teaching. And I think an approach to teach with the one that you know, we've based our curriculum on, on what we call problem based instruction, which sort of works the other way around. You give kids a problem to work on, you make sure they understand what the problem is. You don't just like throw it at them and say, here, kids, take it. Yeah. You, you make sure you're giving them a problem where they have the tools, but you let them work on it for a while and figure it out for themselves. And then the teacher come and then you, you know, you, you conduct discussions between kids or you have them working in groups or there's a back and forth between the class and the teacher, depending on the instructional routine that you're using. And then, um, and then there's a synthesis at the end. So then, you know, the teacher says, yeah, here's how this works, but that happens at the end of the process, not the beginning. You're giving kids a chance to solve problems for themselves first. I mean, it's, not, it's been known for years that that works better. There's research showing that that works better. That's the way high achieving countries like Japan teach mathematics. So we've known that for a long time, but I think there's been a little bit of inertia to change. And I think the pandemic has sort of revealed, okay, we need to do something differently. Yeah, so um, what will those things be? So, you know, maybe hopefully next fall, um, we'll be back to some semblance of normality, at least maybe a, a hybrid setup. These technologies will be in place. So, I mean, I, hopefully they'll still be able to be used if, if necessary. Um, give me a little bit of a, a forecast of, of how you see um, this craziness accelerating and maybe hoping uh, change the way we teach math for the better. 
I think the thing, the most important thing is that everyone now understands the importance of student engagement. And so I think the software, the sort of ed tech aspect of this is going to be how do you achieve that engagement um, with, a, with a platform. Um, and, you know, there are some promising um, uh, things coming out there where people are beginning to think about let's, let's try and design um, a digital experience, which is not just me talking at you on a Zoom call, which is, um, you know, tools for assigning work out to kids. Like we're working with a, um, a company, um, and I'm blanking on the name right now, um, QThink. Um, so QThink has developed, and you know, I think they're, they're working with one of our partners to incorporate their tool into their platform. But QThink has developed um, a little tablet-based uh, system where kids are assigned a problem, they're on their tablet, they can start writing and talking about their solution. So they can say, you know, okay, I'm thinking this, I'm thinking maybe I'll break this number up into, you know, seven plus three, break the 10 up and then combine the three with something else. They're writing and talking as they solve the problem. And then that gets recorded. And so the teacher, when they can, when they look at the, how the student worked the problem, uh, it sort of replicates what normally, if in a physical classroom, the teacher's walking around and they're just looking at the work and then they're asking the student, why did you do that? How did you think of that? It's, it goes a long way to, you know, if you can't do that because you can't be physically present, it goes a long way to replacing that with a, with a tool which, you know, which captures a lot of the same functionality. Yeah. So I think what's, what I see is people coming out with tools that are not just like kids, you know, sit in front of a computer and hit the keyboard. I mean, there's a lot of stuff like that out there. There's a lot of ed tech like that out there, but parents have now seen it. <laughs> right? And they've right. seen how deadly it can be. Right. And so right. I feel like there's going to be pressure for more engaging, um, for, for thinking more about, you know, technological tools that really support the learning of mathematics. Yeah. I guess it's one thing as, again, as I think as, as a parent and watching my, my uh, my kids do math um a tablet based and the touch based seems to be a real important distinction when it comes to learning math right is it i would when they were some projects they were doing um and they would deliver it through a, a content management system but then they would have to show their work that was pencil and paper take a photograph yes. of the pencil and paper to send it in to prove that, you know, that they were doing it in the right way, right? Uh, do you see any of those technologies uh, getting a, a, a catalyst now because of, because of all this? Well, there's lots of stuff out there. I mean, I think, you know, a lot of companies have assessments can be delivered online. So there's, um, yeah, there's another, there's a group, nonprofit called Assistments who have um, put a whole bunch of practice problems into their platform. And they have, you know, sometimes you, a problem might just be a multiple choice. Well, you can easily just sort of make that a digital experience and kids pick, pick the choice and you can actually have the system automatically grade the answer sort of on the spot. 
Um, but they have this a capability where if, if, you know, if it's not, if it's a solution where you actually want students to write something down, then, you know, the students can write it down, photograph it and load it into the system. And the teacher will see this homework set and they'll say, okay, these ones were right because they were multiple choices. They've already been graded. These ones I have to look at the answer and I'll just click through them. So it's facilitating, um, it's facilitating a way of you know, giving assessments where you want student work without actually having paper floating around or people exchanging things. You know. Right, right. Which is a good segue into another um, aspect of this conversation I'm hoping to have, which is the idea of what's happening to assessment. Uh, I know that you have great experiences when it, when it comes to, 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 to putting these things together. Um, you know, one of the mind-blowing, one of the many mind-blowing uh, things that happened in the spring is, is that there was a lot of uh, no testing, right? I mean, that uh, a lot of the, right. the, the things that districts and states have always measured student progress and how the machine worked didn't happen. Uh, so it even kind of brings into question why some of these results are what they are. I mean, they're, I guess they're using private company data to, to do it. Um, talk a little bit about what the assessment dynamic was in what I call BP before the pandemic mm -hmm. uh, and what you foresee it may be AP hopefully sooner than later after the pandemic. Yeah, I mean, I don't have a lot of wisdom I mean, I don't have more to say than like lots of other people have to say on that. Um, I mean, assessment has always been a sort of pendulum swing in the United States from like way too much assessment to not enough and then way too much again. Um, uh, assessments have often been of low quality, um, assessing only just like basic skills. And I think one worry you have to have is that because of the pandemic and because of people needing digital solutions, they'll be going for assessment systems which involve sitting at a computer and checking multiple choice answers rather than assessments that include some sort of pre-response type of, um, I mean, there are systems that accept pre-response questions, of course, but there'll be a, I think there'll be a, tent, a temptation towards the more just mechanical assessments and the ones, than ones that, that really assess conceptual understanding. I think you need a mix of those. But having said all that, I'm not sure any of that. I'm just, I mean, I think that was always true. Even before the pandemic, assessments um, were, were often too focused on mechanical skills. Um, so maybe the pandemic's not going to make that any worse. I'm not a big expert on assessment. I'm not sure I have much to say. You should probably cut this whole thing out of the uh, No, it's good. <laughs> But just in, in terms of the, um, you know, what we're talking about the, um, those technologies and techniques, um, how do you go about assessing that? I mean, when you're going to, when you're taking photographs of, uh, of your work and putting it up, I mean, doesn't that call for maybe some sort of digital portfolio uh, to where you're yeah, to show yeah. your work or maybe even reporting, you know, uh, like almost like a master's thesis of, of somebody who's in eighth grade algebra explaining their work? Well, so, and you know, when I was talking just now, I was thinking more in terms of the big summative assessments, like, oh, right. you know, and, and, and you're talking now more about formative assessment, which I do have more opinions on where I think it's actually the most important function of assessment um, is to let you let the teacher know as 
they're going along, how kids are doing. And the purpose of the assessment is not to give the kid a grade. The purpose of the assessment is to give the teacher information about what the student is thinking. And there, a well-assembled platform that enables the teacher to see at a glance all the things the kids is doing, I think is really important. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's technically complicated to do that either. Uh, um, you just need um, a sort of platform which can assemble all the different things the kid is submit submitting and which has certain aspects of usability and ease of use that a lot of, um, you know, is there a single sign on for all of the, for all of the different courses, um, you know, can parents easily access what's, what's my kid supposed to be doing? Can kids easily upload it? That sort of thing. Yeah. Um, talk a little bit about that dynamic. I've been talking about myself as, as a parent, I've spent more time involved in my children's education in the past nine months than probably the last nine years. I've had yeah. synchronous, yeah. you know, conversations with teachers. Um, do, has that changed the dynamic from your perspective in, in terms of how you're delivering uh, your curricula? Um, well, I think it will. Yeah. yeah, I think I think we have to expect a lot more parent engagement, a lot more parent influence on decision making. Um, we're doing with our elementary curriculum. Um, we're doing a pilot, so we're pilot doing the beta pilot of the elementary curriculum this year around the country, and including a big um, chunk of that is in LA Unified School District. And there's a company called Family Engagement that has this uh, app. So basically, what they will do is send text messages to the parents every day keeping track of what the kids are doing. Here's what your kid's doing. Here's, you know, here's a question you might think of asking them. And, and, and it's also, they'll do it in the language of the parent. And it's a really, it's a tool. So we're piloting a collaboration with them with our K-5 curriculum in LAUSD this year. And I think it's an exciting thing. I mean, I think family engagement has always been important. Um, and, you know, will be more so now. Yeah, yeah. Um, another thing that uh, has come into stark relief uh, since March is um, issues surrounding digital equity and um, students yeah. having access to curriculum. Uh, I've done a number of conversations with folks uh, in regards to open education resources and the importance of those things being uh, as important, if not even more important than the idea of 24-7 access all the time uh, for students who, no matter, especially in rural situations, may never be in a situation where they have 24-7. Talk a little bit about that, about, from, from your perspective. So one of the things that, you know, when we first designed our curriculum, we had a sort of a stance um, that the curriculum had to be usable in a school or a district that had essentially you know very little technological infrastructure so therefore it had to work with pencil and paper and that was uh, that's not to say that we don't have digital widgets in the curriculum but every one of those has an accompanying activity that works on pencil and paper um now you know fast forward to the pandemic you one hopes that it is actually um, raising pressure on states, funders, school districts to ensure digital equity. 
and to make sure that kids do have equal access to the internet. Um, but even so, I'm a big fan of thinking, I mean, I mentioned earlier this idea that you could take a photograph of your homework and then like either email it or text it. I mean, you know, like a lot of kids have smartphones um, and so sort of low tech, rather than trying to solve the problem of how do you design a computer program that can read what a kid is writing on the screen and pass it, yeah. just have a well-designed, logistically well-designed system for collecting artifacts in whatever form they happen to be. Paper, um, somebody wrote something on a screen, um, and, that, and, that is, and that is capable of accepting all of those artifacts in different forms and putting them into some sort of coherent portfolio. So that's, that's bringing the technology to where the student is versus vice versa. Versus saying, here we've got this wonderful platform and you're going to love it if you have high bandwidth and if you have a computer in every room in the house because everybody's in the house all using computers at the same time. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, to go back to where we started in terms of the recent news of, you know, the COVID slide, um, if you can, as we wrap up this conversation, uh, hopefully give me a, a glass half full uh, prognosis here. I mean, while those those numbers are bad, I mean, there are ways, as you said, to begin to turn them around. And are there ways you think that we're going to be pulling some innovations out of this to say? Absolutely. absolutely. Look, there has always been a segment of the population of students whose numbers are as bad as everybody's numbers are right now. And so in that sense, this problem is not new. The scale of it is new, but the depth of the slide, there have always been kids whose slide is that big. Okay. So I think the hopeful message for me here is we're actually gonna figure out how to solve that problem ah. um, rather, than, rather than shunting those kids aside. And we can solve it. I think that if you, you know, we put a whole bunch of effort into figuring out how to help teachers think through um, how do I teach on grade when the kids have missed all this math? And don't go, and like our approach is don't go back and try and reteach what they missed. Design ways of using the coherence of the mathematics to pull in the bits they're missing as you need them. Be strategic about what you leave out. And we, we published a whole bunch of guidance documents for people using our curriculum on doing that. It's doable. And um, so I'm hopeful that the pandemic, rather than having caused all these awful problems to a certain is is laid them bare and revealed them and 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 and, and, and made them apply to a much wider range of students and it's given us the will to solve right that's great well your work is uh immensely important doctor and uh, i know that it goes and it helps uh, an immense number of, of students around the world and uh just uh, thank you for that and appreciate your time and your insights today well, thanks for having me. I enjoyed the conversation. Great, thanks. And thanks to everyone for, uh, for listening. Uh, see you at the next one.